We've been looking over the last few weeks, the last few months, this series as recorded in Matthew chapter 5, this sermon of Jesus, a sermon that flipped the script, that those who heard it then, and I believe truly for us who hear it now, it sometimes seems completely backwards and upside down. And the hearers then and us as well, I believe, would feel that way because it's true that we look at these words of Jesus and seek to understand how do we live these things out in light of contemporary culture that would look at these and simply scratch their heads. It seems to them confusing and upside down and backwards and probably not really all that clear. But if we look at these words of Jesus, he couldn't have been any clearer. These words in the Sermon on the Mount weren't just important for his hearers then, but they are so important, church, for us today. They are critical words that we are to study and to ponder and to wrestle and to put into practice. And so we're going to do that this morning as we bring this series to a close. In a little bit, uh, we'll take some time uh, for Q&R. It's an opportunity for us, again, to ask questions. Be kind. No, uh, it is an opportunity for us to wrestle, to ask those questions, to be able to, to seek to better put into practice and to understand what was it, what is it that Jesus is saying so that we can grow, so that we become more like him, so that each one of us can take those steps further in this journey of discipleship that we are all on. And so we invite you into that. You can text or email those questions to ask at westviewchurch.ca and we'll spend some time a little later this morning walking through those. This morning is an important message. And it's probably, I believe, one of the most difficult parts of the Sermon on the Mount. So that's why Gary left it for me being in Rwanda. Thanks, Gary. So let's pray this morning, church. Jesus, we need you. As we spend time in your word, we acknowledge that we cannot understand it simply by our own. Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate these words, that you would work within us, even in this moment, moment that what it is that you are speaking to us uniquely and to us as a church community, that you would make that clear. As we seek to understand these challenging words, let us hold fast to their truth and to the promises found within. And so we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you get your Bibles, open them up, turn on your apps, whatever you want to use this morning. We're going to find ourselves in Matthew's gospel in chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. The words are on the screen as well for you, worshiping with us on our live stream as well. Engage with it in that way or open your Bibles up at home as well. We read these words in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice 
Be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As I said at the outset of this morning, this might be one of the most difficult messages in the Sermon on the Mount. Because I would wager for many of us, when we look at this subject of persecution... That it isn't something that for some of us we've had a lot of experience with. But I won't dismiss that for some of us personally, for some of your families, for those of you who have experience in the East in hostile countries towards Christians, persecution is an all too real experience. In 1 John 3, He gives us these words. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. This is John's pep talk. But it seems to John that this shouldn't come as a surprise. But what's interesting in the location of this scripture, if you read it in the context, just two verses earlier, John is reminding those who follow Christ that the message they have heard from the beginning is to what? Is to love one another. And so even in our efforts to love one another, there is the potential for persecution. So perhaps this morning to better understand this, we need to ask the question, what is persecution? And so maybe we'll start this morning by understanding what persecution is not. Persecution is not something new to Christianity. The first persecution of the church took place in 67 under Nero, the sixth emperor of the Roman Empire. Early Christians were stoned to death, thrown to lions, tortured and crucified. Every conceivable method was used to stop their progress and their advancement. Persecution is not something that someone experiences as a result of their own hypocrisy and judgmentalism or just general obnoxiousness. Being rude and harsh and fanatical towards others will result in consequences, but that is not persecution. And persecution is not something as our worship team helped us so beautifully to prepare for, is not something we ought to be fearful of. And maybe that doesn't ring clear to you, and maybe those words aren't what you're expecting to hear, but as I was preparing this morning, well, preparing for this morning, I didn't just start writing this this morning. Come on now. (laughs) You only work Sundays as a pastor, right? No. Theologian and pastor John Stott, he said this as I was preparing. He said, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. And I think he's on to something because the way of Jesus is not the way of the world. And we see this. And we get this. You've felt this. You've experienced this to some capacity at some point in your life that as you follow Jesus, it doesn't mirror the ways of the world. 
And our time in the Sermon on the Mount has shown us that. And Christ himself reminded his hearers, his followers of this very true fact. In Matthew chapter 7, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives these words. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The call upon the life of the Christian, someone who follows Jesus, is one of identifying with Christ in all things. When we speak of Christ as Lord, it's an all or nothing encompassment. One commentary writer said this, he said, union with Christ means a share in all things that are Christ's, including the rejection, reviling, and persecution that was his. And so in verse 10, we hear these words of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or while perhaps we've all experienced some form of persecution at some point in our life, that's not exactly what Jesus is speaking to here because what he is clear in his distinction is that Christ is speaking here to persecution for righteousness sake. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is persecution for righteousness sake? And two weeks ago, Gary helped prepare us, I think, to understand this by us looking in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew 5, verse 9, where Christ implores us as followers to be peacemakers. To, to call upon Christ is to pursue peace, to work for peace. That isn't something that happens passively, that we work towards it to make peace. And it seems somewhat strange that Christ would locate that passage right next to this passage, except he knows what he's doing. Two Sundays ago, we were blessed to have Gato Munyamasoko here on this stage from Rwanda. If you were here, he shared an incredible testimony and encouragement of the work that he is doing in regards to the work of peace and, and reconciliation in, in Rwanda and in other neighboring countries in Africa. And if you haven't seen that, go to our website and watch it. I would encourage you. He said these words and they have lasted with me. They have stayed with me and maybe you too. He says, to work, the work of reconciliation is difficult but possible. The work of reconciliation is difficult but possible. Yet there are times, however hard we try to make peace with people, they simply refuse to live at peace with us. And sadly, not all attempts at reconciliation succeed. But I truly believe that every Christian is called to pursue peace and every Christian can expect opposition. But... There is a promise. And what we find here in the concluding sermon of Christ is a promise for all of us, as it was for all of those who heard him first speak this years ago. And he says these four words. You will be blessed. 
Christ promises that this experience will come with a blessing. Why? Because we're not being persecuted for our unique personalities or our peculiarities, but rather those who are doing the persecution have done so having rejected the Christ that we seek to follow, that we have tasted and seen that he is good and that he is great and that he is worthy of our love and our pursuit. And those contrary find it distasteful that the Jesus we pursue is the one we hunger and thirst after. The Apostle Paul commended young Timothy on multiple occasions to what? To pursue righteousness. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 11, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then again in 2 Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Church, even note the location of where righteousness lands here within the context of these scriptures. Paul is emphasizing that this is first and foremost, not last But first, to pursue righteousness. We, like Timothy, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so the call upon the Christian, having done so, is to pursue righteousness. And Christ promises this blessing on account that what you are experiencing is undeserved, however not unexpected. And again, we recognize that the way we are called to live is to a life of peace. In God's economy, to live outside a life of peace is to live outside of the will of God. And so this is undeserved. But it is not unexpected. And I feel like there is that reality that sometimes we're not as comfortable with perhaps in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in 2023 when we hear these words to pick up your cross. When the scripture calls us to pick up our cross, what does that mean? What does that look like for us? What does it mean to follow Jesus when we saw him himself picking up his cross? And so if this is all true, then the question we need to ask is how do we handle persecution? Well, we see that in verses 11 and 12. Blessed, again, this promise of blessing. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so if we're to understand this idea and this reality of persecution as followers of Jesus, how do we understand it? How do we handle it? It may suggest this morning three lenses which we can see this through. And the first lens is, is to rejoice. 
And if you were to experience any form of persecution, would you be real with me this morning and say, that's probably not my default response? In the wake of persecution, to rejoice. This has got to be the most striking part of the Beatitudes here as Christ shares this message. The call for Christians to rejoice in persecution. Why? Why of all the ways to react to this would Christ call us to rejoice? And not only that, church, but to be glad. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 4.13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. This theme of gladness and rejoicing is full in the scriptures. And it just doesn't seem to make sense. But what it does is persecution allows the Christian an opportunity to demonstrate kingdom living and the hope that this world is looking for. Because if all we were to do, church, were to rejoice in the favorable circumstances, what message would that send to those outside of knowing Jesus who they themselves are experiencing hardship and struggle? We are called as followers of Jesus not only to help, but to provide hope. And where is our hope built on? To rejoice even when things are not favorable. Christ's church is seed in you. And the supernatural power of our faith becomes clearer and clearer to those who see us. And none of this would be possible. None of this were it not for the promise we have in verse 12. Where Jesus says to his hearers, And to us, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Because the truth this morning, church, is we may lose everything on this earth, but we will inherit everything in heaven. Christ is reminding his hearers and us this morning that our focus ought not to solely be on the here and now, although it is good to be here, to gather together, to worship together, to bless, and to all the other one another's that the scriptures commend us to, but to never forget for a moment, church, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we have a promise of even greater things yet to come. And the second lens that we see and are able to handle persecution is by recognizing. By recognizing that in times of persecution, the Lord is always working. That things might not always make sense, but there is a purpose to his plans. And I cannot tell you how many times in my own life, my finite mind wrestles and struggles and fights against this desire to simply know why God 
And we see through the scriptures David crying out and others within scripture crying out to the Lord, seeking to understand why. This church is the work of what we call sanctification. That what the Lord is doing in and through us is this ever-growing capacity of becoming more and more and more like Jesus as I was preparing for this morning, a story and a name kept kind of coming to the surface. And perhaps you've heard of the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, uh, probably one of the classics of Christian faith that I absolutely love. And I was going to bring it up here to show you this morning, uh, but apparently uh, I've lent it out again. Uh, and so maybe you have it, um, and that's good. If you do, give it to somebody else. I'm going to go buy a new one, uh, and, uh, and the church budget, I'm sure, can handle it. Uh, and it's a good thing to have. Read that book. It is a good book to have. And he says this scripture, this, this quote, sorry. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived an incredible life of magnifying the goodness of Jesus and making that message clear in the midst of hostile conditions in World War II enemy Germany. To the point of being sent to the concentration camps to being killed three days before it was liberated, having committed his life to the mission and to the purpose of making known the good news of Jesus, even in the midst of hostility and persecution. And so let me throw this quote at you this morning as it hit me as I was working through this. What if the absence of persecution in our lives is not a result of us being more like Jesus, but in actuality, the result of us being more like the world. Sit with that for a moment. And as we wrap things up this morning, the final lens I want us to look at is this ability to remain. Because in times of persecution, I feel that we're presented with two options, either to run or to remain. Choosing to follow Jesus may be the hardest choice you ever made, but I promise you, church, it will be the best choice Even some of Jesus' disciples, those who were nearest to him in the time of him giving this message, chose to flee. They chose to run rather than to remain. And John records this in his gospel. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Six verses later, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Church, I would much rather be up here on stage this morning preaching about bunnies and ice cream and unicorns. That would be really nice. Let me be real. But that's not going to help us grow in our faith. My desire 
as your pastor is to help us grow and even understand and wrestle through the hard things, not always just the easy things. And so in times when we struggle, in times when things don't make sense, in times where we are facing persecution, we can run or we can remain. Jesus' words recorded by John in 15, John 15 are to remain, to abide in him. The call of Jesus on the life of a follower is to remain in him even in times of hardship, even when it doesn't make sense that we can run away from Christ or we can run towards Christ. Do we run after the heart of our heavenly father when nothing else makes sense? Because these situations that we come against, church, will drive us away from Christ or drive us even closer. This call upon us as followers of Jesus is to remain, to rejoice, to recognize that the Lord is at work, that he is doing something far greater than perhaps what we could ever comprehend with our minds, but it is not that he is gone that he is absent, that he has forsaken or forgotten us. And I don't have all the answers, and it doesn't always make sense, but the promise that Jesus gives us is true, that we will be blessed, that something is going on in the midst of that hardship and that uncertainty and that persecution that is drawing us closer and closer and making us look more and more and more like Jesus. I want to pause here for a moment. I want to invite my buddy Darren on stage here as we spend just a few moments in Q&R because I'm sure there might be something that is resonating with you this morning. I think there's like 16 emails. I've already seen them as Darren's walked up. So, oh my goodness, Lord, be with us. Um, I think you have a different email than I do because there are zero in mine. Oh, oh, good. That's my Black Friday sales, sorry. <laughs> Man. Oh, we got one. We're good. Uh, it says, contrast, blessed are those that are persecuted with the common teaching of living your best life right now. Ooh. I had the incredible privilege a couple of weeks ago uh, to be invited up to our youth ministry and to speak uh, for Tosh. Uh, I love youth ministry, 10 years as a youth pastor. Um, there is a trend and we see it. Um, we were just down in Phoenix last week as a family uh, and as we were driving up to the outlets, there's a giant casino there and the biggest words displayed there are you do you. Larger than anything I have ever seen before. And I think the prevailing culture that we see is this living your best life, this you do you, and this kind of autonomy of self where we feel that what we do and everything that we're for is simply for our own good and pleasure. But the reality is, is that just drives us more inward where the call of Christ is to drive us outward to love the Lord, and to love our neighbor. That's the call of the Christian. 
I believe that that is not always an easy thing. You probably have had a neighbor at one point in your life who was not easy to love. But that doesn't give us a get-out-of-jail-free card. We are called to love the Lord and our neighbor. And so this idea of living our best life removes ourselves and absolves ourselves of anybody else around us and drives us inward. And what Christ is calling into us to is the complete opposite. It is to call to go out. And even in the hard things, even in the tough stuff, but the promise is there. And if we know that the promises of God are true and good and yes and amen, we can hold to those. That's the call to remain. That's a good question. Uh, there's no more that have come through right now. Um, if there's somebody that would like me to bring the mic, just give me a wave that I can bring it around. We'll refresh one more time maybe. I think you're off the hook. Darren, I appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, man. I believe it's true that most of us in our lives will never experience persecution to the capacity that some of our brothers and sisters have experienced in this world. And so what do we do with that? How do we handle that? How do we go about our daily lives recognizing that there are so many out there for whom their lives are a constant struggle, literally a daily battle to live? And I pray that our brothers and sisters who experience great persecution would hold fast the scriptures that we hold fast to as well. As the writer of Hebrews reminded us, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. What I hold fast to and what I believe others must cling to as well in the moments of life when nothing seems to make sense is that God is with us. That we would pray for them. That we would be on our knees interceding for them as they are for us. There was a conversation that Billy Graham had a number of years ago with a world leader who was uh, previously actively involved in a country that was quite hostile uh, towards Christians. And the conversation, I'm paraphrasing, went a little bit like this. And, and he said, wow, when we see these Christians in this country, perhaps it would be best for us to prosper them and to bless them further because when they are persecuted, all we see is a greater thriving and prospering. This world leader who himself would not choose to follow Jesus recognizes the outworkings of a faith that is under trial and under persecution. And what happens then and what happens now is a greater closeness and a running to the Lord and a proximity with him. But he is with us. Words that we will be reminded of, church, next Sunday. As we enter into Advent, as we begin in the coming weeks to ponder afresh 
Who is this Emmanuel? God with us. And what does that mean when life doesn't make sense? When the script seems to be flipped? God is with us in every circumstance, in the darkest night of our soul to the highest and brightest of mountaintops. He is with you, church, and he is for you, church. And we will understand that, and we will see that, and we will enter into that in this coming season of Advent that God is with us. And so when it doesn't make sense, when all hope seems to be lost, we remember the words of Jesus one more time. I have overcome the world. As our worship team comes to lead us in one final song, let me pray for us this morning. Lord, we have spent these weeks in this sermon, Jesus, that you gave in these words that you proclaimed and that you continue to proclaim today. And Lord, we don't make light of the reality of the strife and the persecution and the oppression of our sisters and brothers in this world. And even now in this moment, Lord, we pray for them. We lift them before you. We pray against those who are doing the persecution that you, yourself, Jesus, would reveal yourself to them in mighty ways as you have revealed yourself to us. That they would come to understand the futility of their actions. And that you, Jesus, will continue to build your church, to grow your church to draw us closer into you. And so, Jesus, when life doesn't make sense, we hold fast to your promise that you are with us, that you will never forsake us. And sometimes that's all we have. But that's okay. And so thank you, Lord, for these words in Matthew's gospel, this sermon that you gave. And I pray that it will continue to speak to us. And as we head into this season of Advent, that we will continue to remember that you are with us. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. And we pray this in your name. Amen.